I'm Kate Daniels. We now meet Dr. Catherine Athens, a psychologist, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and author. Dr. Athens, good morning. Thank you for being with us this morning as we grapple with these very deep, strong, and very negative emotions in our society. I am grateful. I think our listeners will be grateful for your insights and your experience. Sadly, this whole situation we're dealing with in terms of anger and rage is not going to disappear no, very no, quickly, it, right? I think it's been building for many, many years. It isn't just the pandemic. People are outraged because they see the injustice. They see that some people are above the law, you know, and they, they feel helpless. And more and more people feel this way. And then more and more people are stressed financially. And then we have these children who are really angry. And the parents do not take care of the children. They don't get them into therapy. They don't, you know, immediately say, wow, there's a problem. Instead, they seem to enable them. And this is a big problem, I think, for the young man who shot all those people in Michigan, they said his father bought the gun four days before. Right. I just heard that on the news. I was like, well, what's that about? Yes. Uh, And to have it just out in the open, I have my own personal feelings about having guns. Certainly there are rules about... um, keeping them at least in a safe and that sort of thing. And it sounded like this was just left out in the open. And this child, even though I think he's 15, but leaving that around. And if you know that there are some problems, hopefully a parent is in tune with that, uh, to, to just leave weapons like that around really feels so irresponsible. It is. It's totally irresponsible. And Uh, 15-year-olds are children. Uh, People don't understand that the brain grows slowly, especially in men and boys, males. And for males, it grows from the back forward. So uh, they don't really reach their ability to access their prefrontal cortex, which is the judgment center, till around 28 to 35. So... They are impulsive, which is um, that impulsivity sometimes overwhelms them, and they do things that are totally insane. Now, this young man evidently had been planning to do this, and this is a big issue, that someone is going to plan to murder people. And I saw a picture of the young man, and he's totally out of out of his mind. But he's, he looks so crazy to me, Kate, that I don't understand why, pardon me, school officials or anybody had said, hey, we've got we've got to take care of this young man. He has issues. He's got problems. And actually, one news story I heard related to that, that the school had met with the parents actually earlier that day, and that 
Now, this is a report, so it's not necessarily the facts, but still, apparently, the parents were were not cooperative. That, uh, and I, I think in general, sometimes parents are in denial. No, not my child. There's nothing wrong with my child because they take it personally. Like, there's something wrong with me too. Well, God bless them, but there probably is. Yeah. I'm sorry, but you know, if you're not seeing that your child is in trouble. What is that about? You know? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... I don't know. For my children, I knew exactly. No, they need to get into good counseling. They're having some anger issues. You know, let's take care of it now. So there's still some issue, I guess, around the stigma, like, unless you are perfect, as I see you, there, you know... I'm just not going to acknowledge, you know, any kind of fault or blame. And how do we get us as a society to to just be much more open and accepting that, you know, none of us are perfect. We're all a work in progress and see what we can do to to help ourselves grow and heal. Oh, that's a, you know, what they used to say, the $64,000 question. <laughs> that show. Yes, yes. <laughs> I hate to say I do, but anyway, uh, it's very, uh, I think we have to be more open as we are in saying we're not just physical beings, we're emotional beings, and we're thinking beings, and these thoughts and feelings cause physical issues, but also the thinking causes emotional issues, which then uh, keep us in a state of imbalance. And we don't, we're not, we don't know what to do with our anger. You know, we're not supposed to be angry, but people are angry. I know years ago in my training, we used to have what they called batakas, which were these long things that had foam rubber on them and we could have couples, you know, hit each other with these batakas because it didn't hurt, but it made a a very nasty sound. And uh, I personally had gone through bioenergetic therapy, which dealt with anger, kind of a primal anger that we have. And we all have anger issues. And, of course, again, in that idea that we're perfect, we're not supposed to have those, but we do. We have regret, we have things where we've been betrayed, where we've been used and abused, and we still have residue of anger that is unconscious, and we don't want to bring it to consciousness because we don't know what to do with it, and unfortunately, we're not training enough people in you know, mental health care to help others to know what to do with it. Um, because that stigma goes to money and grants and money for schools, and we're more interested in creating AI than creating happy people. And that has to stop. Our values have to change. And it felt to me almost two years ago now, as the pandemic began, that this was going to be a time that we really were going to go into a pause situation and have a time and space to evaluate this and recreate things. But 
if anything, it's just uh, really become worse. These anger issues that we see, just so much violence erupting. And when you say that, you know, people see injustices, it does make us angry. And um, but but we have to find a way, right, to express this where it's not going to be so destructive to both other people and just to the world around us. Property, not that property is more important than people, but it is. I mean, there's just, we create so much damage. Well, I really think that we started to work on this. It was more acceptable in the 70s to have anger and to deal with anger and people were dealing with their anger. And then we got into the 80s where we were uh, learning to attain things, where we were into the bottom line, where we put aside people's emotions and feelings. And I think they got buried in that whole decade of the 80s. And then we've never really come back to looking at, wait a moment, People are still angry. People still have issues. We still need people to deal with their issues. And certainly, I know that uh, bioenergetic therapists now are very rare. The idea is to be cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy. But that stays on the veneer. And what we're talking about are deep, deep wounds. People are very wounded deeply. And so we don't talk about that because, or deal with it because it takes time and it takes people to have dealt with their own wounds to be able to deal with others. And there aren't a lot of people who are doing that now because we're so into acquiring things. The thing, time now, you have to have in our area, in the Bay Area, you know, people have to have a test lab to show they're saving the environment. It's like stupid things like that. Mm-hmm. Instead of really honoring kindness and generosity and supporting that, supporting giving, supporting learning to go inside yourself, know what you're feeling and thinking. There aren't too many places that do that. And we certainly don't have classes in school that say, okay, you're going to learn how you're feeling, you know, 101 or uh, introspection one. We don't know. I can tell you I come across so many people when I ask them to go inside, what are you feeling? They go, what do you mean? I'm feeling my lunch that I ate. That didn't agree with me. And that's all they know. And it's very sad because things like held in anger create an acid situation and inflammation, which then leads to things like heart disease, arthritis, hypertension, and we are unaware of it. And so then we go to the other end where we do some sort of drug palliative to deal with it, but we don't deal with a cause because mm-hmm. it's too much trouble. It's too time consuming. And is there fear? Do you think that's part of it that people are afraid 
to have any introspection that it's they've lived with this kind of agitation and frustration for so long that it doesn't feel good, but they know it. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're 100% right. You know, it's safer with the enemy you know than the one you don't know. And people, we as humans are so adaptable. And this is a blessing and a curse because we will live with all kinds of horrible, horrible things. We'll adapt, we'll adapt, we'll adapt. And we have this fear. We have these two kind of... um, I don't know, organisms in the brain, the amygdala, and they're ancient, and and it's all about fear. But we have them because, you know, when the dinosaur was coming, we better be afraid <laughs> and either hide or run. And they're sort of um, left over from those days where there were big animals and we needed to be afraid. Uh, so those get triggered, and then we get frozen or a lot of people then go into the big river in Egypt, denial, you know? Yes. And then they get frozen. Then they don't know what to do. So I agree with you. Fear is huge. People tell me I'm afraid. I said, okay, now let's see. Uh, did you kill your mom and cut her up and put her in the freezer? No. I said, then what could be worse than that? Nothing. You know, I make a little sort of obnoxious hey, you know, whatever you did can't be as bad as that. So if you can see that and you know it, then you can see whatever is inside of you, whatever it is you think is so horrible to understand. And then isn't the truth really that once we start to do this, yes, there might be little murky things, but then there's just this really awesome feeling like of relief of, well, I think there's, I'm going to call it love, but kindness, caring surfaces. You're right, because really we're made of love. We are. That's how the cells stick together through love. And I went through a very deep session with one of my clients this week, and when she saw what was going on and actually faced it and went through it, she told me, you know, I feel 10 pounds lighter. Mm. I actually feel lighter. I feel taller. That she had gotten rid of all of that emotional junk. Right. Yes, this is so real. But it's not something we pick up like a book, but it is tangible. It's tangible. That's right. It is. And I was telling another one of my clients earlier this morning about a client who had read a book on whatever it was, Eight Ways to Be Successful in Life. Well, after she read the book, she called me and said, thank God she called me, said, I feel like killing myself. I've already gotten the pills. I said, what's going on? She said, I read this book, and I am totally a failure. I could not do one thing in that book. So luckily she called me. She came in. We worked through it. I read the book. I felt horrible, so I called the author, and I said, you know, this book makes people depressed and feel horrible. Could you take it off the market? 
And you know, he did. <gasps> really? He did. I said, my client was very suicidal. Luckily, she had the wherewithal to call me before she did anything. And then I told him, I read it. I said, I felt horrible after reading it. It's not doing what you think it's supposed to do. So he did. He took it off. And thank God. Yes. Because people will compare themselves. They'll read a book and it says, oh, three steps to happiness. Okay, well, I can't be happy. I did the three steps. I must be a failure. There's something really horribly wrong with me. It will never get better. What should I do? The only thing I can do is kill myself. I mean, people go through that kind of cognitive, stupid thing all the time because we make it simple. We simplify something that is not simple. It's very complex. And then we act as if, oh, everybody should be able to do that. No. The truth is nobody can just do that and be okay. But we do it to sell books because it looks good. It's uh, sleek, you know, and it's not okay. It's really not okay at all. So that is a good lesson to underscore. If something then causes such deep despair, depression, that a person wants to take their own life because it's not worth anything, stop, reach out, and and discuss this with, with a therapist, preferably, but just reach out to anyone that you know is going to be a support. Yes, and you know, there are great suicide hotlines. Yes. These people are trained really well. Reach out to, you know, your your church or your temple, your rabbi, your priest, reach out and talk, talk it over, talk to somebody. You know, it's best if you can even find them in person. I know we've been doing Zoom, Zoom, but, you know, it's uh, reaching out is vital to get another perspective, to, to bring one back to more of a centered, grounded understanding that maybe the book is wrong. You know, maybe it isn't that simple. It takes years to learn to be happy and to learn to be grounded. And we make it sound as if it can be accomplished in the reading of a book. And the answer is no, it can't. Books are helpful. I write books. I like people to to read, to, you know, and I recommend other books for people to read. Uh, And they're not the end-all and be-all. You have to be with people. Maybe be in a group. There are groups that meet regularly. There are men's groups and women's groups where you can run this stuff by other people and, and feel like you're part of something, that you're not alone. You're not isolated. It's really important to not isolate yourself. And so this is really the foundation we need to be looking at, to be looking within, to be doing healing and awareness work on ourselves. And I think that should be one thing that helps when we look out in the world and we see the violence and the attacks that are going on, but not to put ourselves in dangerous positions, just to 
really have that sense of, of self? Or what do you recommend, Dr. Athens? Well, I recommend that the schools, my daughter went to a really wonderful preschool. It was Bethel Lutheran School in Cupertino. And in that school, they believed in not to hurry the child, but they taught the children. At age three, they would sit around in a circle, and they would teach the children to identify their feelings. Now, this was very rare. It was a program that was underscored by the NAEYC, which is the National Association for Education for Young Children. And the children would begin to identify their feelings. And when they did, they could say to another child, you hurt my feelings when you stole my toy. Or I got really mad at you because when I was painting, you ruined my picture. And it gave the opportunity for the other child to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you, or I'm sorry, I didn't mean to ruin your painting. I didn't know what was going on. Or, yes, I did that because I was mad at you the other day. You did that to me. And that gives a discussion of let's not do bad things to each other because nothing good happens from bad. And those kids were the happiest kids as they grew up where they would sit at lunch They're four years old. They sit and just had lunch and talk. They didn't run around. They didn't bite each other. They were happy. They were smiling. They were talking. And all of those children went off to schools and were very balanced and had good self-esteem. The program built good inner self-esteem, inner sense of worthiness. And we need to build a sense of worthiness in our children, which is lacking. It's not a religious thing. It's a sense of worthiness that these kids are amazing. We don't take time to stop and say, wow, the human being is a miraculous creation. We are amazing with all the things we can do and all the things we can learn and understand, you know, we don't take time to really underscore that. And for children, they have to have the feedback of, you are amazing. I'm grateful you're in my life. You are so worthy. How many parents stop and tell their children that? Sadly, not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Children here, I'm not saying all children because it's not true, but so many children here are what I call designer children. Parents have a lot of money here. They have uh, Bentley or Maserati, and they go, hmm, what do we need? Oh, let's get two kids. So they have two kids. They dress them up nicely, but they don't want to interact with them. I had a mother tell me, well, if I knew it would be so much of my time, I wouldn't have had children. I reminded her, I told her, I told you not to have children. Start with a goldfish. (laughs) Really, I mean, start with a goldfish. And if you can take care of the goldfish successfully, graduate to a rabbit. You know, don't go have children because, 
oh, it makes the picture look good. Because those kids have become, and I've treated many of them, such delinquents. They are so rageful and angry. And they go through, parents go to Europe, and there are a lot of empty houses in the hills, and there used to be a gang of the kids that would go party in various houses. And one time, and one of my clients, actually two of them were involved in this, there was a young girl, and they made her drink a whole bottle of vodka, and then they got to another house and made her drink a whole bottle of, I guess it was whiskey. I don't think she got through the bottle, and she passed out. Well, the kids left the house in a big hurry, and luckily made enough noise where the neighbor heard it, called the cops. They were able to get the emergency team because she was going to die. She was almost dead. Alcohol poisoning, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the kids were rounded up, and I saw them, and I was absolutely livid. You know, they're wealthy kids, and, well, I'm going to tell my grandma you're mad at me, blah, blah, and she'll do this. I said, your grandma isn't here, and I'm here. I said, what caused you to be such a monster? I said, you're a monster. You're not a human. You're a monster now. And I just really wailed on them. I made the children write, I'm sorry, letters to the parents, and then knock on the door and say, I am now at your service for a year to make amends for my bad behavior. So I made those kids do that. And I told the other parents, you need to do that for your child because you don't want your child to be a monster. And when you peel away the layers, the child does become that way because the parent isn't present to guide them and love them. That's right. right? They don't get enough love and guidance, and boundaries. Healthy boundaries make a healthy child. And now one of my clients has told me about their son-in-law who has a child, and they, he and his wife decided they are never going to say no to the child. Mm-hmm. They're just going to allow the child to do whatever the child wants to do. And that is a recipe to make a sociopath. And the child who is now four is starting to have sociopathic behaviors at four. Just tragic. It's tragic. It's criminal. Criminal. Those parents need to be spoken to, and the children need to know there is someone who is giving them a boundary so they can relax and be a child, because with no boundaries, children become rageful because they don't know where things begin and end, and they don't feel like anyone cares about them, is looking after them. And they're right. They're correct. And it is slovenly, lazy, irresponsible for parents to behave that way because we in society pardon me, have to live with their parental upbringing. And they don't get in trouble. Their children get in trouble. Their children get tried for murder. Their children get put into prison, and they go free. 
And it's like, no, the parents should go to prison too. Parents should, before that, understand these are tried and true ways to raise children. We have done research. We have done tests. Since the 50s, we have known how to raise very good human beings, and we keep refusing to do that. And we are seeing, as we have a larger and larger society, more people, this really playing out in our life. We are seeing it. And then people go, how could this happen? I love that. It's like, excuse me? It's very clear. This is not rocket science. It's not advanced math. It is, let's see what the behavior of the parents has been since before birth. And this is something that's very interesting. And Dr. Athens, yes, that is definitely very interesting and needs so much time that we don't have at this moment. So I offer that we're going to have a part two. We will continue this conversation and we will air your research, your findings next weekend when we meet up once again. We shall. Thank you so much. Well, this has been utterly important and insightful, and I trust really has all of us thinking, and I just so appreciate the work you do, Dr. Catherine Athens. It's been so wonderful to have you join us once again. Oh, my pleasure, and thank you for having me, and my best to you and all your listeners. And remember that love is the most powerful force in the universe. So maybe we could all spend five minutes sending out love a day. Certainly we can find that. Perfect. Let's do it. Thank you.